Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son Jesus, who is the word. We thank you that you have delighted to call us sons this morning, that your mercy is new every morning, that as the sun rises and brings heat to this earth, we are reminded uh, that we ourselves need to be awakened. We need a, a kind of spiritual awakening that we cannot muster ourselves. And so, Father, this morning we ask that you would use your word. Uh, do what only your word could do, that you would pierce us through. That we would see the places in our own hearts and souls that we are so dependent on the things of this world. And ironically, that causes us to be very independent from you. And so, Father, we ask, uh, do what only you can do. Uh, change us, transform us, conform us more to the image of your Son. May we worship you more than anything else in this life, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please get out Proverbs 10. Uh, you can also look at your sheet. We're not going to look at the whole uh, thing, the whole chapter, but uh, great chunks of it. So you can either look at your sheet or turn to Proverbs 10. And I'm going to go ahead and read the main verses that we're going to focus on. This is where Proverbs transitions... Uh, from this kind of big idea of these sweeping characters and this idea of lady wisdom. And we're told in Proverbs 10, verse 1, it says the Proverbs of Solomon. And so here is where Proverbs transitions to these little pithy statements uh, with each one so loaded, so packed with God's wisdom for us that we really, if you just kind of read it like you would read any narrative, you're going to miss it. You've got to read it over and over and over again. And then even read it again, and again, and again, and again, before you even start to kind of glean all that's packed in each statement. And so Proverbs 10, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon. He begins by saying, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but He thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty. The hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. We're going to look at verse 15 now. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life the gain of the wicked to sin. And now 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Now as we look through the Proverbs, we've, we've kind of defined Proverbs as um, a book about wisdom, and wisdom being this thing, this really art, this way of living, a way of godliness. And Proverbs is so good to put before us these different topics that are so uh, common to every man. And right out of the gate, we're talking about money. Common to every man, it's been this way forever. And so Proverbs has a lot to say about money. Last week, uh, Chad kicked us off thinking about money. And this week, I'm going to kind of focus us in really on this one section of Proverbs. And we'll bounce around just a little bit. And I want us to see something that's just absolutely critical. Uh, now, hopefully by now you've recognized, we're going through the book of James as a church on Sunday mornings. And if you aren't worshiping with us and need a church, um, let me invite you to worship with us on Sunday mornings. 
Uh, we are studying the book of James together, and hopefully you've noticed by now, those of you who are in worship and are coming to this, that this is all by design. We, we intentionally are studying Proverbs because of the overlap between what James gives us and what the Proverbs gives us. There are many commentators who will say that James is kind of New Testament wisdom. New Testament wisdom, and so there's overlap. And a, a few weeks ago, I preached on money from the book of James. And if you were there, you heard me talk about a time that I spent in Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa and Cameroon. And of all the things that I saw, one of the things that I saw that was most dangerous, uh, one of the most dangerous exports that we have given the African continent is the prosperity gospel. Now, if you know what the prosperity gospel is, it is a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. that says if you believe in Jesus and you do the right things and the things that he commands you to do, then you will become rich in this life. You will become wealthy. And the danger of the prosperity gospel in Africa, you have a continent of people who are living in unbelievable poverty, who are beginning to believe this lie that if they would just become Christians, their poverty would change. Now, I said that was an export from the United States. In many ways, that's absolutely true. If you have been around the last few decades and you've seen televangelists on TV, uh, you've seen even perhaps documentaries done on what they have done to prey on people, uh, to prey on the weak and sometimes the very poor in our own country, uh, causing them to believe that if they would just give enough money to their ministry, then they could get out of their debt, they could get out of their poverty, they could get out of what, uh, whatever they're experiencing, and uh, they could become wealthy. I, I want to give you just a few examples of this. Robert Tilton uh, came up with what he called the law of compensation. And he based this on Mark 10:30. And the idea was that Christians should give generously to others because when they do, God's going to give them much more in return. It's a good investment, right? That if you do this, you're going to live this cycle of ever-increasing prosperity. And so an example of that would be me as a pastor here would say, hey, Give to the church. And the reason you should give to the church is because if you give to the church, you're going to become rich. Another example of this kind of thinking, Gloria Copeland uh, wrote a book called God's Will is Prosperity. Now we'll talk more about this, but I think she's right, just very wrong. A different kind of prosperity than she has in mind. But she says, give $10, receive 1000 give 1000 and receive 10,000. She gets that again from this law of compensation, Mark 10, verse 30. Now, what is Mark 10, verse 30? Does anybody know? This is what it says. He who will not receive a hundredfold now in the time. Uh, I'll back up in verse 29. He says, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children of lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. That's where they get it. Now, what they don't realize, at least it seems, is that they took it out of context, and that verse comes in the context of the story of the rich young ruler. And just after this, Jesus says, he continues and says, a hundredfold with persecution, in the age to come, eternal life, and many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now, my guess this morning is not many of you have taken the prosperity gospel hook, line, and sinker. 
But the reality is all of us, the way that we live practically every single day, we live in a land of prosperity and a land that thinks in this life and work hard enough, then we can be wealthy. And now you might say, well, I don't know that I believe that. I mean, look at the way that you live. It, it, it so ingrains how we think to the point where you might be tempted as we look at these Proverbs this morning and say, well, I need wisdom. Wisdom in order to have wealth. And the things that the Proverbs are going to teach me, if I can just apply it the right way in my life, then I too can be successful. And this morning I want to give you a warning. That's not what the Proverbs are for. Though they give us the art of godly living, were you to leave this place this morning and think, if I can just do all of this in the right way and line it up perfectly, then I will be successful. There is something of the prosperity gospel that has seeped into your bones. Because this is what the Proverbs, I believe, teach us about prosperity. The book of Proverbs teaches us that whether we are rich or poor, true prosperity is found in the riches of God. Let me say that again. The book of Proverbs teaches us that whether we are rich or poor, true prosperity is found in the riches of God. And money can be an incredibly dangerous thing. But it also can be used for the glory of God. And so, three ways that we're going to look at this very quickly this morning, and I'll send you to your tables to discuss First, we're going to look at money and wickedness. Money and wickedness. Second, we're going to look at money and our work. That's going to be a little preview to, uh, we're going to talk about work at the very end of our series together, money and work. And then third, we're going to talk about money and worship. Wickedness, work, and worship. In these three areas of life, money has a way of captivating us and capturing us. And Proverbs wants us to think wisely about our money in a way that we would see that true prosperity does not come in this life and the wealth that we could accumulate, but it comes in the riches of God. Okay, so first, money and wickedness. Money and wickedness. Look at with me, Proverbs 10, verse 2. All right, so this is what he says. He says, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. All right, so take a moment, read over that again. Again, I said if you, if you just kind of glaze over this, you're going to miss it. So take a moment, read over that again. Verse 2, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit. Now the question before us this morning is what does he mean by wickedness? And in your mind, perhaps, right now, you're thinking about wickedness, and you're thinking about maybe the most evil, sinister type of selfish businessman that you could possibly fathom, right? That they might go about gaining, being successful, earning their wealth, doing it wickedly. But what I this morning is that there is wickedness in all of us, and money has a way of drawing that wickedness out of our hearts. When he says treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, 
I want you to see what he's talking about and the irony. And that any of you who've lived long enough, and I've lived in life, that when you, out of your own sinful desire, want wealth, want riches, it's interesting that almost 100% of the time, that wealth eventually, that desire eventually consumes us and it fails us, does it not? Story after story after story of men in our church who have achieved just about everything you could possibly achieve only to fall it, see it completely fall apart. The greatest business deal completely fall apart and suddenly something that promised millions of dollars, there are now millions of dollars in debt. And the question before all of us is, what is wickedness? And wickedness really has to do with your desire. What do you want? What do you want? And why do you want it? Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Verse 3 says, The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. What is it that you crave? As a man, what do you crave? Why do you work? What drives you to do the work that you do? We'll talk about that next. Wickedness is in all of us, and money has a funny way of drawing that wickedness out. Proverbs 13, 25. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. In other words, for the wicked, there's never enough, is there? It's just never enough. You could never accumulate enough wealth on this planet for the wicked. And to the degree that that's true of you, you're probably beginning to recognize, wait, wait, wickedness is probably me too. Are there things that you want, that if you're going to be honest this morning, that God just can't satisfy for you? You think, yeah, 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 I understand that God, I mean, He's all, He's my all in all, right? But, but it'd be great if I could also have this. And, and the Proverbs this morning, Proverbs 13 is saying, listen, the righteous could have nothing, nothing on this planet, but He's got enough to satisfy His appetite. It's the wicked who could have everything, but He suffers want. There's never enough. Proverbs 21, verse 17, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. So Proverbs is teaching us this wisdom that for the person who loves wine and loves oil, who loves pleasure, those things, though they might be symbols of wealth in this life, are actually lead to spiritual poverty. <laughs> they consume us. In of themselves, are they bad? No, of course not. And we see time and time again that wine actually is a symbol of celebration a symbol of redemption, a symbol of the resurrection throughout the Bible. But wine could also lead to destruction, can it not? He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. The things of this world will lead to spiritual poverty. Proverbs 19, verse 3, When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Again, that's Proverbs 19, verse 3. 
Write that down and look it up again. This is a great one. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Ultimately, why does money draw out wickedness? You know, when we achieve great success and we earn a lot, typically, who gets the credit? We do. When everything falls apart and you lose it all, who do you blame? Right? That's what this proverb is about. Isn't that interesting? That when we gain, when we have success, when we achieve, we take all the credit. Look what I did. But when we lose it all, we don't blame ourselves. No, we blame God. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin. Notice what he says. When a man's folly, his own folly, the things that he is after, the decisions he has made, when all of that leads him to ruin, his heart rages where? Against the Lord. Against the Lord. See, our wickedness leads to our own destruction. We blame God, and ultimately that's why money draws this wickedness out of us. So, is money in and of itself sinful? No. But it has a way of interacting with our sin and our wickedness that we must be very careful about, which is why we need the Proverbs. It's why we need wisdom. It's why we cannot just go through life with money and just assume that we're doing it the right way. We've got to think more deeply than that. We have to think with wisdom. Uh, again, the context of Mark 10.30, the story of the rich young ruler, Mark 10.23, Jesus looks at his disciples after this man, and he says, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? That should scare all of us. Because the reality is all of us have wealth, Right? Compared to the rest of the world, the fact that we are even in a room like this and have what we have, we have wealth. How difficult it will be. And they looked and they were amazed at his words. And again, he said, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier to go through the camel, to go through the eye of a needle, than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The eye of the needle was a small door in the midst of a giant door in the gate. Right? It's about five feet tall, maybe a little little bit less. Camel is what? A lot taller than that. The idea of the camel being able to enter into that door is impossible. And so here Jesus is trying to help us to understand that wealth is dangerous. Now, is it just that, hey, listen, you have wealth and you're just not getting in? No. Wealth is dangerous. In of itself, it's neutral. But it has a way of drawing out the wickedness of the human heart. And we'll talk more about that in a second. All right, that's the first thing. It's about our wickedness. Second, money and work. Money and work. We're going to speed up a little bit here. Money and work. Look at verse 4. Proverbs 10, verse 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Now, I mentioned before that we're going to talk more about work uh, in in several weeks, and so I don't want to tackle all of this, but you do see this connection of money, uh, what we accumulate in our work. And that should make sense to us, right? After this, you're going to leave, you're going to go to work, and why do you work? Well, probably for a lot of reasons. We'll talk about that in a second. But one of those is, well, we get a paycheck so that we can provide for our families, provide for ourselves so that we can be good stewards of all that God has given us. And so Proverbs has something to say about that about the connection of what work looks like and 
how we are paid. In verse 4, it says, A slack hand causes poverty, and the hand of the diligent makes rich. I mean, a very simple, to many of us perhaps, obvious truth. If you are lazy, that's going to lead to destruction, right? You're not going to earn a lot by being lazy. But the, the person who's diligent, who works hard, makes rich. Now, remember what I said before. Now, this is not meant for you to look at and say, okay, well, that's just what i got to do. That the Bible here is telling me just to work hard, and if I work really hard, then we become rich. Now, all of us in this room recognize it doesn't always work that way, does it? It's not just about hard work. It's about hard work unto the Lord. Verse 5, we see he gathers and summers a prudent son. The word prudent means wise. So the one who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Right? The, the idea of um, gathering and not just spending everything. Right? Being one who prepares. Uh, doing the harvest well and not being lazy. Uh, working hard. But I, I think what we need to begin to understand about the Proverbs is what we will see time and time again and it's so true in our life, that you can work as hard as you possibly want. But if you think about the context of this, using agriculture, a farmer can work as hard as they want, but they still need something, that without it, it's not going to matter how hard they plow. What thing is that? Rain. And who gives the rain? God does. Now, this gets lost on us because there's not many of us in this room this morning who are farmers. And so much of the way that we work now, we think is a direct correlation. I work, I plow, I get. And God's not part of the equation. You can work as hard as you want, and if God is not in it, if God has not blessed it, or we see in Proverbs sometimes, if God's just after your heart, And he wants you to understand graciously, but in a severe way, that he's better than your wealth. It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. Hard work in and of itself, and that's one of the great lies of the American dream, hard work in and of itself is not really going to get you there. God ultimately is the one who's in control. He is the one who's in, in charge. Proverbs 28, 19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. So again, this idea of not just hard work, but work unto what? And if your work is unto the Lord versus a work unto just this empty pursuit of wealth, Proverbs says you're going to end in poverty. It is not just hard work we should pursue, but God-honoring work. What does this look like? Proverbs 16, verse 19. It is better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Better to be lowly spirit with the poor than divide the spoil with the proud. What do you have confidence in today as you leave this place? As you go to work? As you look at your calendar? I just distracted you, I know. Now you're thinking about all that's got to do after this. Who's in charge of that? Are you just going to go out there and crush it, as they say, right? And do deals. I have one of my great friends, he's no longer in this church, but he's hilarious about stuff like that, about just 
what sometimes the great lie of a city like ours tells us. <laughs> that it's all about you, right? And your own ability, and your own ability to work hard. And that those who are working hard and are successful, those who have the most in this city. And Proverbs are telling us, no, you got it backwards. You've got it backwards. You've got it backwards. Proverbs 23, 4, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Let me give that one to you again. Proverbs 23, 4. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning. Have wisdom enough to desist. So the great question, why do you toil? Why do you work? If you're going to be honest this morning and you would say, well, I work to make money, then perhaps you need to think more critically about your work. Because money in and of itself in and of itself, is not what we are after. So why do you work? We'll talk more about that, like I said, in a month or so. But why do you work? Your work has tremendous value. Tremendous value, and it's worth much more than whatever dollar signs assigned to your salary. All right, that's money in our work. All right, last thing this morning, and we'll go to our groups. Money and worship. Look with me. We're skipping down to 15. Proverbs 10, 15. A man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. Again, look at with me, uh, 15. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is the ruin. You know, the thing about money is you can love money and not have any of it. And if you spent some time in, in some of the poorest places of our city, sometimes you see that tragically. But though they have very little, they're just as materialistic as the richest person in our city. Now, you could certainly have lots of money and love it too. But money has a way of thinking that we can, if we just have enough of it, that's the thing that's going to make our life better. And you could have no money and think, well, that's just the one thing I lack. That's what I need, and that will help my life. And you could have lots of money and think, well, I just need more and more and more and more and more. And that's what this proverb's talking about. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. Look at all that I've built, all that I've accumulated, all the wealth that I have. Or the poor, looking at all that they don't have and saying, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. Either way, rich or poor, you see that when money is the thing that you're everything, that becomes an idol. That becomes something that you worship. This morning, a great question to really ask yourself is, do I honestly worship money? And before you just honestly, you know, immediately say no, I mean, really think about that. Do I worship money? Do I love money? Do I think it's something that's going to help me? Is it the thing that I turn to when I'm in trouble? The thing, the reason why I get up in the morning? Uh, a way that we can think about this proverb is Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it is in the safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. So what this is saying, again, Proverbs 18.10 and 11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And for those of us who see the name of the Lord as our strong tower, it is there that we run. That is our refuge. That is the place that we run to. It is our object of worship, the name of our God. But 
Proverbs 18.11 says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The one who sees the name of the Lord as a strong tower, that's their refuge and strength. But for the rich man, well, it's their wealth that's their strong tower. Their wealth that's their strong city. That's where they run. They've built up, they've fortified a life. They've built their own kingdom. And this is the great danger, again, of money. It makes us self-reliant. It makes us arrogant. It makes us proud. It makes us independent. And ironically, as I prayed as we began, the more dependent we are on money, the more independent we are from God. When it becomes our strong city, when it becomes a high wall in our imagination. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew that no one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money has a habit of making us drawing out our wickedness, right? Sometimes can be the object why we work. And ultimately, the great danger of money is it can be an object of worship. And this morning, the book of Proverbs is calling us, pleading with us, trying to teach us that there is nothing in this life that will satisfy the human heart. Only God can do that, whether you are rich or whether you are poor. True prosperity is found in the riches of God. And here's where we're going to end this morning. We'll send you to your groups. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. He adds no sorrow with it. True prosperity is not found in money and wealth and all the things this world have to offer. The blessing of the Lord is our wealth. The blessing of the Lord is what makes us rich that God would be pleased with us. And why is God pleased with us? Because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the, sin, for, on the cross for our sins. That's the blessing of the Lord. That's the blessing of God that he has given us. And so I'm going to leave you with this proverb. I want you to turn there. I'm going to send you to your uh, tables. Proverbs 30. I want you to turn there. Proverbs 30, 7, 8, and 9. This has become a prayer of mine. I pray it becomes a prayer of yours. The few times that we actually see really a petition. Proverbs 37. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He's pleading with the Lord. He's saying, Before I die, don't give me wealth. Don't give me poverty. Give me you. Because if I have either one of these things, I could be tempted in wealth to forget who you are because I've just built it all myself or in poverty, to curse your name and demand that you do something different. Do not give me wealth. Do not give me poverty. But give me more of you. May that be our prayer this morning. That 
only Jesus could satisfy the longings of our heart. Let me pray for you and send you to your tables this morning. Father, thank you again for your Proverbs. Thank you for the wisdom that it gives us. And thank you for this difficult subject that affects all of us and our money. May we think about it rightly and we will recognize that you have given up all wealth and all riches, that you who are rich became poor and sending your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins, that we might have the riches of God. We pray that that reality would sink deeply into us this morning as we think about our own depravity, our own wickedness. We think about the own reason why we work, and we think about who we truly worship this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.